The land was cold and barren. But what else could one expect from a country so isolated? Hope had long been lost. The promise of a Messiah, an anointed one, had in all practicality been forgotten. The years had taken their toll on that now lost hope. A world and culture in desperation and defeat had become a rule of life. But long-awaited hope cannot be quenched. The Messiah, the Anointed One, brings hope and joy and happiness. A world of despair, darkness, and apathy can then turn into exuberant displays of joy and celebration. Usual everyday actions often, in the blink of an eye, begin taking on the signs of the miraculous. Some are even asking, is the hand of God upon this young boy child? Is this the one? Is this the one we have been waiting for? No, shouts some in the crowd. He's too unorthodox. He doesn't fit the mold that we expected. Yes, shouts the others. He's so loving and humble. Just look at the ragtag men who follow him. From all corners of the country they come. And all together, diverse as they are, they follow him. Yes, there have been the fakers, the pretenders, the wannabes before. But this one is different. He speaks the words of the Lord and Savior. And he delivers, though not as expected. It still brings hope and joy and festive dances of celebration. For unto us he has come. The Son has been given. And his name is called Tim Tebow of the Denver Broncos. <laughs> saw that coming, some of you, didn't you? Some of you, some of you saw that coming. Uh, <laughs> our article written by myself and um, a little help from my friends on staff, inspired by an article I read last week in the New York Times called The Mile High Messiah. And, and, and I hope you'll excuse my irreverence for just a moment. Um, all those things were true about those of us who are Broncos fans. It's been a desperate long period of time. But so many, seriously, so many things at Christmas time have many traditions and they, 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 they have had, they've had such great significance and meaning and then over the years sometimes they lose their, their way and, and, and sometimes they just get, they just get hijacked. And, and something that's supposed to mean one thing means something totally different. And, and I want to talk about that today because, yes... This is a series that we're talking about, you know, Christmas.simple, and we're talking about today pause, and, 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 and the thing is, I want you to, to hit the pause button, maybe starting today for, for this week, or maybe it will be later in the week when you can do that. Hit the pause button to stop and listen and, and think and pray and be thankful. And my goal today is as you pause to also motivate you to maybe start up, maybe continue, maybe even revive um, some traditions that point to the Christ of Christmas. Uh, his message of love, of hope, and forgiveness. Just, I want you just to be thinking along those lines. Traditions that will point to the Christ of Christmas. Um, I want to take you to a passage in the Bible. It's sort of the backstory 
to the, the the Christmas story probably most would agree is most uh, clearly stated in Luke chapter 2, the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Chris is going to be talking about that Christmas Eve. You've got some great stuff planned for us, and uh, we've talked about it some, so that's going to be great. But even before that, before that, you go back to, before that story, story really happened, the back story goes back to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to talk about it. I'm going to read through the whole passage right now. It's just, it's just um, four or five verses. Um, I just want to read through that right now and get you to just a Think about the whole story in its context, the whole narrative, and then we're going to come back and talk about some of these things. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This is how, the, how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while he was still a virgin, well, excuse me, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, he was a good man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. It's a great narrative. I got three huge, huge components to this passage that you just, I just, I, you just got to get them. And I, I think it will help for the whole season and maybe even beyond. Huge components to this story. The first one is simply this, the birth of the Messiah. Right, right there in verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. And let me go through that again because we read through that kind of quickly. I want to stop, maybe even pause a little bit, use the theme of the day, and, uh, and get you to think about that. What, what does that mean? Watch this. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, what about this? Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man but did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, what's going on here? It would help to have some, some understanding of the significance and, and, and particularly of the background of the Hebrew wedding cu- customs. First of all, you probably know this. or probably figured this out by now, but if you don't, I'll, I need to tell you. These marriages are arranged at this time. They're arranged by the parents. And they say, okay, you're going to marry someone, so you're going to marry. I, I, was, I was a big fan of that. Um, my kids never listened to me and, and by God's grace, we did very, very well with both of our, both of our son-in-law and daughter-in-law. So we're good. But for a long time, I was saying, why can't we go back to this? I like this better. Um, so they arranged the marriages and then, and then you had a year, what they call the betrothal period. And for our purposes, we'll call it an, an engagement, like an engagement. Some differences. They would have, they would have this commitment. You're going to marry him. You're going to marry her. You got a year to, to get used to the idea, basically. They didn't live with each other. They still live with their respective parents, but they would almost, not totally accurate, but they'd almost play house. I mean, they, they would be together during the daytime doing whatever they did, you know, working around their, their, their agrarian area, which, which they would live in. And then they would, all, they would always go home at nighttime uh, to be with their parents. And it was very clear that this, while they're called husband and wife, there are no benefits, if you catch my drift, okay? Um, 
it's very clear there were to be no benefits. And, and I think, you know, most people apparently followed that. And, and you say, why a year? Some scholars say so they arranged marriages, maybe they get to know each other a little better. Uh, some say also because it was such a patriarchal society, some, some would say it was just because they, they were sort of testing the, the woman to make sure she was going to be faithful and true and all this stuff. Um, you say that's not fair. Well, a lot of things aren't. Apparently, that was part of that culture at that time. And I'm sure there was, there was a little bit on the other side. But, you know, here's the issue. If the woman ends up pregnant and the guy says, it's not mine, I mean, there's no DNA testing, obviously. It's just, okay, um, it's not mine. And she would be um, not, not hurt, but she would be, I mean, she'd be hurt emotionally. But the marriage is off. All Joseph has to say is, the baby's not mine. And everything's off, and she'll be shamed. It would be, it'd be a huge scandal. It did happen on occasion. So that's the backstory for this. So when you read that verse, it says, Joseph, uh, as a good man, did not want to disgrace her publicly. At this point in time, he's thinking, oh, man, she got knocked up by somebody else? I mean, so, excuse my crudeness, but I, I mean, that's what he's thinking. Let's, let's be real here. He's thinking, oh, we got kids. No. <clears throat> I got to clean it up here. Um, no, I'm serious. He's he's just. Oh man, she's got pregnant, by, by, and it's not by me. Oh, I mean, I mean, think of the heartbreak. Seriously, the hurt, the shame he had to feel. Let alone the male ego. That's gone, you know. Um, so for a moment, he's thinking, "Oh, I'm so hurt." We'll come back to that story in a moment. I want to, take a, I want to just take a pause, go back to this. Is the, this is the line, Jesus the Messiah. That's the background. The word Messiah means the anointed one. Um, for generations, people had been looking for the Messiah. For generations. I mean, you can go all the way back to, to, to Hebrews, all the way back, excuse me, to, to Gen, uh, Genesis, the Hebrew, beginning of the Hebrew nation. With Abraham, and all the way back there. And they've been looking for the Messiah, and, and, and they got, you know, they thinking the Messiah is going to deliver them. Now, many of them, not all, but many of them are thinking this Messiah is going to come, and he's going to come in the form of, of a new, like some, some of you did last election cycle. Some of you are thinking this election cycle. We need a new man that's going to come in and, and heal all the hurts, you know? Whoever you vote for, every, every you know, hopefully you, you, you feel like he's going to, he's going to, Heal the nation, and we're going to come together, and we're going to be at peace, and everything's going to be great. That's the kind of Messiah they're thinking politically, and, and also many of them. Not all, but many of them. And the truth is, the Messiah is, when he comes, going to right the wrongs and deliver them from evil and, and bring justice and fairness and joy and freedom. What some understood, most didn't, was that Jesus, the Messiah, would come to bring freedom real freedom, freedom over selfishness, freedom over destructive habits, freedom over the power of sin in the lives of his people. When you, become, when you step over that line and become a person of faith in Christ, he gives us that ability. We don't always utilize that ability, but he gives us the ability to be free from our sinful, selfish selves, which we can all get consumed in, can't we, over and over and over again. That's the Messiah. Now, here's a tradition, suggestion. Remember I said you need, to, you need to start thinking of maybe creating, maybe continuing, maybe 
reviving, some, some, some traditions that will point you to the Christ of Christmas. Here's an, here's an example of that. Uh, we've done this in my family. Read Luke chapter 2, Christmas Eve. Before you, before you go to bed or before you open presents or before you have your big, big meal or whatever, just take a few moments and read Luke chapter 2. And Chris is going to talk about that Christmas Eve, but hey, you can go home and read it again. You, you know, there's a hundred, literally a, over a hundred versions on, online and read it in a different version. Just take you three or four minutes. Kind of a cool tradition just to get you focused on, oh yeah, this is about the Messiah, Jesus coming to earth. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The ability for me to trust in him and not be the selfish slug that I have a default mode to go to all the time. I was speaking for you too when I said that, by the way, just so you know. Speaking for myself, but for you too. Neat tradition there. Very simple thing. You might think of something different, and that's great. Just do that. So that's the first thing. The, The first component, the birth of Jesus the Messiah. Now, the second thing, Jesus brings the forgiveness of sins. Now, I want to take you back to the story, the narrative. We left Joseph there. He's kind of broken. He's kind of, oh, man, she's pregnant. What did she do that for? So that, that's where we are in the story. Verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. This had to be weird, man. Joseph, son of David. The angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she shall have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Watch this, watch this, watch this. For he will save his people from their sins. I mean, Joseph now, I mean, his head is spinning, you know. He's like, wow. And I I know what he was thinking. I I promise you, I know what he was thinking. Because he's a, he's a good Jewish boy, right? Raised in a good Jewish family. He's going to Hebrew school or whatever the equivalent of it was at that time. He's, so he knows, he knows these Old Testament verses. I promise you, when he, when he heard the angel say, for he will save his people from their sins, he's saying to himself, oh, this must be what Jeremiah prophesied about back in... in, 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 in he, we didn't have, they didn't have chapter divisions back then. That didn't come until much, much later. This must, he, but he's saying, that must be what Jeremiah prophesied about. Because he had Jeremiah's, what we would call the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. He had that. He knew that. That's what the Jewish people studied at the time. And, and here, here's, here's that verse. This is Jeremiah 31. This is what I believe he was thinking of when he, when he heard this, save his people from, from their sins. Jeremiah 31 says, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. Verse 30, skip down to verse 33. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. You're going to have internal conscience. It's going to be the Holy Spirit prophesying. Verse 34, I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. I mean, I mean I, I'm pretty sure, Joseph, that's what Jeremiah is talking about. And it's going to be my son, Jesus. Not my biological son, but he's my son. Wow. So, I mean, he, he understands this prophecy. He understands what this guy's saying to him. He will save his people from his sins. Wow. You know, forgiveness is one of the hardest things to get people to understand. 
I, I've been doing what I do for 35 plus years. I know what you're thinking. You started when you were six years old. Yeah. Um, I've been doing this for 35 plus years, and I still have a hard time many times explaining to people your sins are forgiven. But, but, but what, what do I need to do? What else can I do? Well, there's a lot of things you can learn. There's a lot of things you can serve. But you can't do anything because all your sins are already forgiven. Once you cross that line of faith and put your trust in Jesus. And it's such a hard concept. I mean, the other day, I was, um, I was here for the day. And it was a Wednesday a couple weeks ago. And I had a meeting, morning meeting here, and I had a lunch meeting. I had a couple meetings in here and some time in between where I could work on my iPad and do, work, on, work on a message and stuff. And uh, I had my lunch meeting. I don't know. Ever since I turned 60, I have this problem. You know, I, I always spill my soup down on my shirt and stuff. You know, it just kind of comes out. And, uh, <laughs> and I did that again downstairs, you know. And, and I've got uh, everybody I'm meeting with probably wouldn't care that much, but I'm a little fastidious. And I'm like, I, gotta, I don't have time to go home. So I just... I knew I had a coupon in my, in my briefcase, so I just went down here to Joseph A. Banks, you know. And um, <laughs> so it's just a block away. I thought I was going to get another shirt. And I walked down there, and I found a shirt that I wanted in sixty nine ninety five. I said, that's great. That's fine. And they said, well, you get three for sixty nine ninety five. And I'm like, I don't want three. I only need one, you know. And, oh, yeah, I, and I promise you, three times. Lovely young lady. She says, yes, but, sir, and she saw my name, my credit. Mr. Teeters, you, you can get three for sixty nine ninety five. I said, I don't need three. I just need one. Three times. And um, so finally she got my message, and I just gave her my coupon, my credit card. And she says, there you go, no charge. I'm like, what? And I'm feeling bad now. I'm like, I've got to pay you something for a shirt. I mean, sixty nine ninety five shirt, I've got to pay you something. She says, no, with your coupon and, and the sales we have going on, it's, it's nothing. That's why, she, that's why she's trying to sell me three of them, you understand, you know. <laughs> but I had the hardest time saying, oh, I, and, uh, two or three times I held my credit card up. I said, don't you want to charge me something? You know, I, I want to pay for something, you know. It's just a hard concept to, to comprehend. You, you know, magnify that about 100 times. It's the same way with a lot of us. When we talk about our sins being forgiven, but Lord, don't I need to walk across the carpet on my knees? Don't I need to do somersaults and, you know, hold my tongue a certain way and tell you what a sinner I am? No, you're forgiven. Jesus took care of that. You can't pay anything. And and that's just, it's a wonderful concept, but it's hard for us, you know, it's hard for us to comprehend sometimes. Here's one for you. I love this verse. Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What part about that don't we understand? As far as the east is from the west. All of them. When we come to Christ. Pretty amazing. I can get pretty excited about that. I want to give you a tradition to think about on this whole thing of Jesus comes and gives us forgiveness of sins. But, but let me, before I do, you're not going to like me very much when I tell you what, you, what I want you to, a tradition I want you to put into your life. I want to show you another verse. We have not, in our, in our men's group, we're going through the book of Colossians. We restarted back up in January. It's, it's a bunch of great guys. And uh, we discuss like different things in the Bible. We're going through the book of Colossians. We haven't gotten this far yet, but when we do, it's sparks are going to fly, I guarantee you. And it's a pretty bunch of real, authentic people. 
at all different parts of all different points in their own journey of life and faith. But look at Colossians 3.13, last part of it. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive. Here's my tradition for you. You got a week to work on it. For this year, forgive someone. Think back over the last year. You don't have to think very long. A, a name or probably a face will pop up in your brain. I always hate that, don't you? I used to, I used to when, when, before I became a little more holy, <laughs> um, I used to kind of, when I hit balls, practice hitting golf balls, I put faces on that golf ball. <laughs> I decided that wasn't very healthy. But anyway, it won't take you long to think of that face. Somebody that hurt you. Somebody that lied to you might be an ex-husband, ex-wife, might be a might be a family member, business associate. Somebody just forgive them. Yeah, Smeed said this. Louis Smeed's forgiving is a journey, sometimes a long one. <laughs> Amen. English writer Blackwell: forgiveness is almost a selfish act because of its immense benefits to the one who forgives. It's beneficial to you. Listen, I understand that sometimes it takes a long time. Forgiveness can be a process. I understand that. But start. Start this Christmas. And, 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 And you say, well, Rich, you're only asking me to do that once a year. You know what? No, you should do it more than that. But I'll tell you what. I'll settle for once a year because there are people carrying stuff around for years and years and years. I'll settle for once a year for you to sit down and say, okay, that person, I forgive them. Maybe that might mean an email. Maybe that might mean a conversation. Maybe that means just a conversation between you and God. I don't know. The guy was talking to me after the last service. We sat out there on the cold, cold, cold sidewalk and uh, had a, ma- a great discussion. He said, this forgiveness thing, what does that mean? I said, well, it means just like God has forgiven you, you're forgiving this person. He said, does that mean I have to go back into business with him again? I said, no. Okay. <laughs> we sometimes say, you know, oh, well, this guy, I, I got, no, listen, it doesn't mean you have to be back in a, in a relationship with them. It doesn't mean you have to do whatever. It doesn't mean you have to trust them again. Don't be stupid. Forgiveness isn't stupid, you know, um, you, but you forgive them. You let it go. And many times without the power of God working in you, it might, it, it's difficult anyway, but sometimes it's impossible without God's help. Tradition number two, think about. Tradition that will, that will help us refocus and rethink and bring us back to the Christ of Christmas. Forgive somebody just like you have been forgiven. Third thing, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus, forgiveness of sins. Third thing, the continual presence of God. Just the continual presence of God. Look back to verse 22. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. This is from Isaiah. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Do you realize when the angels said this, when people, shepherds heard this, when Joseph, God is with us. What a foreign concept. You mean God's not just out there somewhere? 
in some other place? Should I make connections with him once a year? Is it, no, God is with us all the time. Revolutionary concept, and I want to tell you something. Still revolutionary for a lot of folks in our culture. God's with me all the time. Yeah, he's with you all the time. When we come to faith, the Lord God indwells us, the Spirit of God indwells us, and he's with us. And I'll tell you, that's a, that's a comforting thought, and that's a convicting thought. It's comforting, and when I go through some tough things, it's good to know that he's there for me. He's always there. But sometimes when you get in some places you shouldn't be in, and you're thinking, you know what, here I am in this situation, or maybe in a, a setting or a place that I shouldn't really be, I got, he, Christ is right there with me. Then you think, okay, maybe I better get out of here. Maybe this isn't a place I need to be. Maybe this isn't a conversation I need to be a part of. Comforting as well as convicting. God is no longer some deity that's out there. He's right here with me. He's personal God. He's personal. He knows me. He understands me. He loves me. Here's my tradition. This is a hard tradition. This is one that, that's a more of a thought, and it's something that I do, a little game that I, a little word thought game that I play, and I think it might help you. And I've got to tell you a story before I give you the tradition. Um, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, I don't know how long it was, our first time to visit St. Patrick's Cathedral, which is just, I mean, if you don't like St. Patrick's Cathedral, I mean, God have mercy on your soul. That's just amazing, I think. Just amazing. Anyway, and I'm not, I don't have a Catholic background, but I mean, I don't know how you cannot appreciate that place. Amazing place. And I'd heard all, all for years about the nativity scene. I wanted to see the nativity scene. So Charlene and I were here for something, and I was doing some stuff in the city with a group I was working with, and we had some time, and we, I think one of our kids, I can't remember who was with us, one of our kids was with us, and I said, well, we've got to go see St. Pat's, uh, the uh, manger scene. And I said, yeah, let's go. And so we got there. There was a line. It was this week before Christmas, so there was a line, and we waited. And um, got up to the front of the line finally, and, there we, and it was just gorgeous. I mean, it really is amazing. And now, keep in mind my background. From the Midwest... Been in church all my life, mostly um, Protestant-type churches, Christian churches, Bible churches, Presbyterian churches, Baptist churches, whatever, non-denominational churches mostly. Um, so this was a new concept to me. We got there, we, got there, we looked at it, and, and sometimes I can be loud. I, I'm, I, I don't know if you, if you don't know me, you may not know that about me, but sometimes I can be loud. I don't mean to be loud. I'm just loud. And I looked at Charlene. We saw the thing. And I'm like, where's baby Jesus? <laughs> I mean, this was a new thing to me. Where's baby Jesus? And I said, I probably said it. I can be very annoying. Probably said it three or four times. Where's baby Jesus? And I didn't think I was that loud. And some guy in the back of the line heard me. And he was from Brooklyn, I think. And he's probably Italian, too. I don't know. But, but, but he was... <laughs> That's for all my Brooklyn Italian friends. Some guy from Brooklyn, the back of the line. I mean, I could... You know, Hey, it ain't Christmas yet. I'm like, oh. Baby Jesus comes on Christmas Eve. I, I, that was a totally new concept to me. So anyway, from that story, and I, I got to tell you, I said, I hope he doesn't know I'm a minister and that I have a degree in Bible. And, and I'm just thinking, I, I just wanted to get out of there, you know, and escape over into... Sacks or something. But it, um, um, from that story, I, I, here's what I want. Every time you see nativity scene, every time you see a nativity scene, have this thought. When you're taking yours down, whatever, if you have one, whatever, have this thought. 
The baby Jesus is with me for a season, but Christ is with me all the time. Just, just a simple little thing like that. And I, I, I'm just thinking that every time you see a nativity scene during this time of the year, kind of make a little, little mental tradition. Baby Jesus is with me for the season, but Christ is with me all the time. God is with us. It will make a difference. It will really make a difference. It's an important issue, the continual presence of God. Amazing concept. Three things. Jesus, the Messiah, the forgiveness of sins, and the continual presence of God. A guy by the name of Dr. Phillips Brooks, Reverend Dr. Phillips Brooks, Episcopalian minister, the 1800s, known for a lot of things, uh, very historic clergyman. This is back in the day when clergymen were significant. But um, this is, he's known for, um, seriously, he's known for one of the great messages after Lincoln was assassinated gave a message in his church that's historically remembered and known as just one of the greatest messages remembering Abraham Lincoln and, and, and pointing to Christ and so forth. He also, his most uh, famous writing probably, though, is this one that I'm going to read to you just a few lines from. Because late 1800s, he went to, went to a Holy Land trip. Saw, he was in, he, he, he caught it, and I think I know the angle. He caught Bethlehem just from a certain angle. It inspired him to write these words. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears, the hopes that there would be a Messiah who would come and be able to forgive me of my sins and deliver me from, from myself and selfishness and bring peace and hope. And the fear, the fear that it's not going to happen because it hasn't happened for so many generations. But they were met that night. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. We need traditions that can keep us going back to refocus on the Christ of Christmas. And that will make a huge difference in our lives and in the meaningfulness of this season. Let me pray with you. Lord God, we are grateful for your, your grace, amazed by your forgiveness, and totally in awe of the fact that you're right here with us right now, and you're always with us. We thank you for that, and we pray for your... We just pray for the Spirit of God to, just to remind us of these things and maybe even to come up with some of our own little traditions that can keep pointing us to the Christ of Christmas. We thank you for that. Again, God, I pray for just a special blessing upon each person here and their families, whether they're with them or not. Pray for that. Thank you, Lord, for how you love all of us. Thank you for this time of the year as we stop and refocus some more on who you are. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.